Why don't I? Do we have enough? Oh, good. Let me open us in prayer, and then we'll start. Lord, bless our time as we endeavor to be more faithful contenders for the truth. Uh, Lord, help us to be cheerful. Help us to be patient, not only with others, but, Lord, even ourselves. For none of us are fully equipped in a way that would cause us to be wholly confident. There is always some element of fear because there's always something unknown, but you've told us, don't worry about so much what you're going to say, but go forth and bear witness uh, and find that, Lord, even as we go forth, you will give us through your word the things to say. So may we be faithful, uh, Lord, as we look at this topic of what the Christian ought to speak to, what lanes he or she feels comfortable traveling, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, as we look at this study of apologetics and what it means to be an apologist, one of the things that you may or may not be aware of for a few reasons, number one, what sort of generation in the church you grew up in, what sort of evangelical influences you may or may not have had, And a lot of things along those uh, lines may or may not have informed what we are to actually speak to as Christians. Um, One of the benefits, but also the hooks that's in the mouth of the church, is this tax-exempt status. Now, the problem with a tax-exempt status is it does glorify God in the fact that a lot fewer taxes would be more glorifying to God. But the fact that the church does not have to pay property taxes is good. The hook in the mouth, though, is there is this understanding as though the people of God, when they come together as a group of people, suddenly are not allowed to have an opinion about the problems of the world when they go beyond that which directly affects the church, those things that are spiritual in nature. Those things that apply to the ministry, uh, that is the preaching of the word and the helping of the poor. The question I have is, how does a church get to the point where they care for the poor? What do we use? What does the church use in order to care for the poor? Money. Where does that money come from? Well, it doesn't come from the pastor, because he's also depending upon the money that the church brings in. It depends upon Christians who make money. So the church needs men and women, families, and yes, even young people on your little hourly wages to bring money into the storehouse so that the kingdom of Christ might flourish. Um, The kingdom of God is not wholly spiritual and wholly sacred in the sacred-secular distinction, which is sort of a bad distinction. Even to this day, um, I have heard things like, this world we're just a passing through. The body is just flesh. Your house is just a tent. Now, parents, when you tell your kids, clean your room, are you telling that only for the sake of moral formation and character building? 
Because there's nothing quite as encouraging as, go do this, but it doesn't matter. Right? Have you all seen Joe versus the Volcano? It's probably Tom Hanks' greatest film. Uh, Meg Ryan plays three different... If you've not seen Joe versus the Volcano, don't go home and watch it today. Save that for another day. But go watch it this week. Joe is a sort of down-and-out guy who works in this factory making, like, petroleum jelly or something weird. It's kind of weird. But he used to be a firefighter, and he used to risk his life all the time to save people. Well, something happened, and he lost sort of the will to live. And he's in this factory in the basement in this room with these fluorescent lights and low ceiling tiles, and he's, he looks pale, and he's sick all the time. And he goes to the doctor, and the doctor tells him, you're dying of cancer. And after he finds out about that, he gets a knock at the door from this wealthy man played by Kirk. Uh, anyway, I can't remember his name. My dad, this is one of my dad's favorite movies. If you've met my dad, you'll notice we have a lot of things in common um, other than our good looks. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> Derek is laughing. I was counting on you to laugh. He says, I know you're dying. Um, I have a mission for you. I want you to go to this tiny island where we get this material that we use to make this particular widget, but they won't sell us the, wit- the, the material, the raw material that's this made-up metal if the island, if, if they um, cannot appease their god that they worship, you need to go to the island and jump into the volcano. And as he goes on this journey to jump into this volcano, he begins to become his old self again. He gets his purpose I'm not going to tell you the rest because it's, it's just a wonderful, sort of whimsical, early Tom, hit, uh, Tom Hanks um, kind of movie before he got sort of weird. But they all go weird, don't they? The Christian is meant for something that is oftentimes much more than the evangelical church, and especially men within the church, want the Christian to think they're made for. Um, and there is an anemia that has crept into the American evangelical church that has made us soft and weak and unable and unwilling to speak to those issues over which Christ is Lord. Then the question becomes, over what is Christ Lord? Because if Christ is Lord of it, then the church is required to have an opinion about it speak to it, and contend for the truth in that area. Satan does not want you to think that way. He wants you to be Adam or Eve. He either wants you to be easily deceived or silent related to issues that do matter to this call to taking dominion. And so the question that I present to us as it relates to apologetics is, what does the word of God cover, and what should we be prepared to talk about? And I am contending that we are to be masters of nothing, but sort of dabblers in everything. I mean, I don't care if you become a master, right? But we've seen what the, what the PhD emphasis in education has gotten us. Have you ever sat under a PhD? I'm so sorry. Because they really don't have a lot of good things to say 
even within their field. So like if you go to the hospital and you see a surgeon and you have a problem, what does that surgeon want to do? He wants to cut it out or cut it off. If you go to, well, most doctors today, they're just going to write you a script, right? That's what most medicine is now. We're just going to write something in here, take this and go home and, you know, side effects be darned. It just depends on your area of emphasis. The Christian, and none of us, and I don't think anybody's going to be criticized, none of us are experts, and that's actually good. We need to be dabblers in those things that matter, which is why I think it was last week I gave you those areas of emphasis that we are to set our sights on. Um, Secularism, evolution, egalitarianism, facts, value, all of these areas in which our culture is struggling, you need to say, all right, I see those five or six areas. I need to know how to talk to those things for this reason. God has something to say about them. Now, at the beginning of your notes, there is a series of scriptures in which I am basically making a case for this question. Over what is Christ Lord? And the simple answer from scripture is Christ is Lord of everything. Or another way of putting that is all of Christ for all of life. We want to be general physicians. And what we want to do is we want to apply the remedy that is the word to all of life. Now, when I say all of life, I don't mean individual existential problems only. I mean the only way to fix yourself, your home, your church, your nation, those spheres, right? The, the self is that primary sphere. of one. It's comprised of one person. If you fear God and keep his commands, that will make you a better father, mother, child. It'll make you a better pastor, elder, deacon, church member. A better citizen and another, a better representative in your republic or whatever kind of government you form. If you fear God and keep his commands, it will affect everything you touch, everything you do. You won't do it perfectly, but to endeavor to exalt the lordship of Christ over all things will bring great glory and beauty and freedom to everything you touch. So um, let's look at maybe just a couple of these passages. I'm going to read from Daniel 7. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, this is Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and they brought him near before the throne. Then to him was given dominion and glory in the kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7 is a vision of which God said to Daniel, seal this up, and then he said to John in Revelation, unseal it. What we see in Daniel 7 is the same thing we see in the book of Revelation. Christ is taking the throne of what? Not just the church, but everything. You, your home, your church, and every nation. Everything that has a government. Everything that has a government. And so what we're doing is we're then saying, to what degree or in what way is the lordship of Christ to be manifested within those fears? Now, there are rules and there are authorities and there are boundaries as to how those are governed. 
So when God says the, the man is the head of the household, that does not mean a man is a head of every household. That means a husband is the head of his household. The pastor is an under-shepherd of Christ's church, and he is, in essence, a father to the sheep. And so he, along with the elders and the deacons, rules faithfully. In the same when we think of politicians, we ought to speak of them as state fathers. They are those who rule for the promotion and the nurturing of righteousness by the keeping of peace, right? Defending the innocent, punishing the wicked with the what? The sword. We don't wield the sword in the church. We don't do that. We do not have the authority to execute. We have the authority to excommunicate, but many churches like the state today don't have the stomach for either one of those top-level disciplinary actions. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because what you are fighting is... And we'll get to it in a minute. What we are working against is a certain sentiment that has arisen through some doctrinal ideas from people within the church and then some pressure and antagonism from those outside the church. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I want us to be unified to some degree in what we think is relevant for not only the ministry of the church, but as a body, what we need to be reading and learning about so that we can help others live their life faithfully. Um, when I was in high school and it got to the point where I had to take the SAT, I realized that most of what I could actually do on the SAT had nothing to do with my education, everything to do with the house I grew up in. Do your parents use good grammar? <laughs> Is there active learning in your home not just at your school. Now, the school is important, but the family is actually the seat of health and education, not the school. Now, um, when it comes to... Well, if you, are you guys familiar with EDC means everyday carry? Many of you carry an everyday carry knife. Um, one of the best things that you can carry is a multi-tool. Um, the other day, I was out here with my Subaru, and I was changing the lights, the dome light, because it had burned out. And so I took a light out, and I put a light in, but it shorted out the fuse box. So when I pulled a fuse out of what I thought was the spare row of fuses, which was really the row of don't ever take these fuses out part of the fuse box, which seems ridiculous that there is a row that you can access with little fingers, well, any fingers, and you can pull it out. I thought, oh, these are the extra fuses. And I popped it in, and I turned my car, and it's going, because the timing system was messed up. So I go, oh, I've pulled two out. I don't know which ones go. <laughs> you know, it's like trying to put a puzzle together upside down <laughs> at that point. So I bet I watched 13 YouTube videos, 50 web pages, and I'm out there going, Lord, Please. <laughs> yes. Uh, you please, God, just at least let me get it out of park. <laughs> Which I did when I stuck the screwdriver down in the hole that allows you to get it out of park. And I've been driving around with a screwdriver in my gear shift all week because I'm waiting on a brake sensor because I think it shorted out the brake sensor. So I'll let you know how it goes. 
Um, all of those components function in a way because they were designed by some Japanese engineer and made it work right there. And you know, it's a very reliable car until you start pulling things out of it that the maker never intended for you to pull out. And then I realized where the spare fuses were, but I was too late. So if you see me struggling in the car this afternoon after church, um, pray for me. Um, We are made by someone for something, and every area of our life, I speak of those spheres, because all of us belong to those spheres. You can't escape it, except maybe the church. But all of us are individuals. We are all a member of a family. None of you were, like, you didn't just come into this world like a, an emanation. You didn't get launched from another planet, right? And even then, you would have come from someone. Um, you may or may not belong to a church, but you certainly belong to a nation. And what's really funny is when your kids get jobs, they really realize, oh, I'm a citizen And the harsh reality is, I've got to pay taxes. Uh, How we do all of those things, the Word of God has something to say about. Not just the stuff you do in church or the spiritual stuff. And what will happen is this. You will encounter people who are primarily members of other corporate groups, other bodies of people that they believe are their primary identity. Um, Years ago when the DNC was held in Charlotte, I don't know how many years ago, but Hillary Clinton came and spoke. Twelve? Wow. Been here a while. Uh, She talked about our highest membership is to the state. And I just want to go, what a wretched thought. What a bunch of malarkey, first of all. But if you listen to what she's saying, she actually believes that. And what she's actually saying is this. I own you. Right? You do get to tax what you own. Now, this is not about politics primarily, but I am talking about the sort of meagerly existence to which many of us belong And you look outside the world and you look outside the church, what you find are people who want to be members of something. They long for membership, for community, for a people, and for a place. And oftentimes the church does not have a robust view of world and life that actually gives those people something that can compete with the state or the braves. Like... Sports are a major component of human identity. You remember the semi skit, Dubbers, 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 right? And I think it was Dan Aykroyd and one other. And they're sitting in their garage or in their basement, and everything was decorated orange and blue because they were Chicago Bears fans. And those 18 weeks, because I guess the Bears made it to the playoffs back then, I don't know. That was the most important time. No, <laughs> Kellen's saying no. You're a Steelers fan, so you would know. You're not a Ste- What are you? Patriots? Okay, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to talk about sports on the Lord's Day. I'm using it as an example. But my kids are learning songs about how 
Chapel Hill's the best, and NC State is not that, something, something. I'm like, guys, I'm from Georgia. I went to Georgia Tech, and I pull for the Bulldogs right now because you can't pull for Georgia Tech because there's nothing to pull for. Give me something to pull for. And the church, it is okay for the church to be weak in the sense that in our weakness, the strength of God is made greater. But it is not okay to think that you're a loser because the gospel is powerful. And that is what Paul says, though I am in chains, the word of God is never bound. I am not the kingdom, but I serve a king who you can't tame. And his word goes forth and it has an effect. When you go out and you endeavor to speak to someone, one of the things they're going to say is, well, you don't have anything to say about that. You're just a Christian. And I don't want you to go, oh, yeah, you're right. I guess I'll just stay in my lane. The problem is, have you seen the bicycle lanes in Gastonia? There are none. There's no room. This is the lane that the world wants to give the church. And it maybe begins with two feet. But we're living in a world now where, and maybe you're like this, there's a cyclist on the road with you, and you go, would you get off my road? And the cyclists are going, no, share the road. And you're like, well, then go 45 miles an hour, please. This is the world in which we live. And especially in a, what is often referred to as a post-Christian culture, which I think is a very pejorative and negative way, I think that those terms are unhelpful because they sort of are almost, okay, fine, it's a post. No, this is the calm before the storm. Just you wait. Because next year, it's on, right? And what we're seeing with churches like Reformation and other churches who have withstood the onslaught of the plot, that is, to undermine the ministry of the church by shutting the saints' mouths or closing the doors of the church, if you are simply faithful to the little things, then what it actually gets you is the ability to speak to people who are just looking for something to die for, to live for. And so the word of God applies to every area of life. Now, what the word of God will not do is tell you to buy foreign or domestic, blue or black, this house or that house. But this is also why you have an enormous amount of literature in the middle of the Bible called wisdom literature, in which you are told two things. A, it doesn't matter that much. Don't look for the writing in the clouds. Or B, here is how you can navigate some of those difficult decisions in life. And this is why God actually gives us to one another. This is children, why parents, you have parents. Or you have fathers or mothers in the faith. Because there are times where you have a question... And the word of God applies to that question, but you don't know how. And someone needs to come alongside and say, well, God's word says X about taxation, X about how you buy a house, how you're to think of debt, how you're to think of credit and all of these other things. And the world is looking for answers. And they are looking for a lot of answers. And they're looking for very boring, simple answers most of the time. And when you see these great atheists debate these great saints, both intellectual powerhouses, you know the phrase, everybody puts on their pants one leg at a time. That atheist, when he's on stage, is incredibly unhappy when he's off. 
How can he be? If he is divorced from the Lord and giver of life, whether or not he knows it, there's something there that he is missing. I love to see the cheerful... um, To my shame, I'll admit this. Um, Ellie and I have been praying longer and more at night together. And on occasion... When I'm tired, I'll put her to bed and I'll just start walking out of the room. Good night. And she'll say, aren't we going to pray? I guess I'm going to go to bed. Aren't we going to pray? Yeah, let's pray. Um, There is something that the world is craving that if the Christian does not speak to them, someone will. And we have a responsibility to speak up because we know the truth. We know what kind of gas goes in the motor. We know basic auto maintenance. Right? I should have looked a little bit further in my automotive handbook when it said the strip of, in there, you know how I found out? I looked in there and went, oh, there's metal contacts in that little slot. <laughs> Those were probably important. Um, you know, parents and kids, parents, you never really give your children advice about matters that you did not have to learn the hard way on. That's often how it goes. Often you give, and especially the kind of advice with the great conviction, because you did err, and you say, please don't go in that direction. But what we have, more than experience, and greater than that, are the words of God's wisdom in Scripture. Now, let's look at the pushback, page three. There's some false ways of thinking that have limited Christian interaction in every sphere of life. There's the secular sacred distinction. Now, as it relates to opponents of Christianity, if man is spiritual at all, then those things that pertain to religion and the invisible self are immaterial and do not matter day to day. And so a lot of the pushback that you will get, which is ironic, because the most outspoken social politicians all have reverend in front of their name. Have you noticed that? So my point is, why don't we speak back better with a reverend in your name? Why don't you talk some common sense? Like, why does a proponent of murdering unborn children have a reverend in front of his name? He's running for Senate in Georgia right now. Why are there Christians who when the overturning of Roe v. Wade happened said, well, wait a second, wait a second. Now that it's been overturned, we really need to focus on loving mothers. Like, what are you doing? And what they're actually arguing for is socialized medicine. The problem with that is this. It is an unbiblical remedy to a serious moral issue. And what will be said about people who stand up is, you're a Christian, you don't have anything to say about this. Or you're that kind of Christian. Doesn't the Bible talk about slavery in the Old Testament? What do you have to say about that? And what are they actually doing? They're putting God on the stand. And they're doing that because they don't want to be on the stand. Because you're beginning to sort of shoot some rounds that go right over the bow, and they feel the heat. And they see the truth, and they say, like the woman at the well, I'm going to just divert the subject to this controversial religious issue. And so there are opponents to Christianity that wholeheartedly disregard and invalidate the opinions of Christians 
Because Christians are not allowed to talk about certain things. And then there's actually proponents of Christianity that say the same thing. I'm talking about the Russell Moores and the Beth Moores. And the, who's the guy that writes for um, France, uh, France or David something? David French. If you read these guys, and I don't know if you are, and that's good, <laughs> but they do represent a large sentiment in evangelicalism in America. And what they're endeavoring to do is to try to shh. You Christians, y'all need to be quiet. Because if, if we're not winsome enough, then the world won't listen to us. The question is, at what point does the iron get hot enough to strike? Because it's been heating up for quite some time. It's like when you say to a young man, do you see that girl out there? Nobody's asking her to dance. And if you don't go ask her, somebody else is going to go ask her. So go ask her. Go. Go do it. There is a sense in which there are many Christians who say to the church right now, just wait, our moment is coming. And I'm thinking, when is that moment going to come? What does it look like? Here is when the moment comes, when you decide to open your mouth. And stop waiting and ask her out, for goodness sakes. Ask her out. If she says no, then you go to the next person. And you say, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And there are going to be a lot of people that say, well, I don't like the way you're doing it. And you simply say to them, well, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. You will make mistakes. You will stick your foot in your mouth. You'll either be too excited or not excited enough, or you'll say the wrong thing, or you'll say, I... I mean, I could spend the rest of the week going back and critiquing what I've said in a sermon, and it would eat me up. I wish I could have said. I mean, when I go back and look at old sermons, there's two reactions. Either, that's man, that is really good. <laughs> or, what, am I, what did I do? And neither one of those reactions tends to give God glory, that he uses weak vessels. You think Peter preached confusing sermons? Yeah. Paul was not infallible. He admits that fact. He had enemies within the church, which is what he means by the thorn in the flesh. So there are those who want to say within the church, now listen, if you start talking about that thing, that you know that thing, you Canadian pastors, if you say to Trudeau, we're not going to close our churches, you're going to make us. You're going to get us in trouble. Shh. You know, the kids, they're at home. And the one kid says, hey, Dad, when do we need to go to bed? And they go, why are you asking when we need to go to bed? Because, Dad, I always say, how about right now? <laughs> why did you ask him? <laughs> and that one kid maybe wanted to do the right thing. And the rest of them go, don't, don't ask him. There is a sense in which there are many who just want to keep their head low. And the reality is those who want to do that do not serve Christ. They serve another master. And so there are those even within the Christian church that say, just let's keep our head down. Let's keep, well, what they say, this is the language they use. Let's live a gospel-centered life. And what they mean by that is only moral issues except abortion and homosexuality. Anything that anybody talks about in public has now been taken off the gospel-centered table. Right? Right? It means let's talk about everything but the things that really matter. 
That's ultimately what that's code for, anything that could get us in trouble with the guys who invite us to come write articles for their liberal newspaper, those kinds of guys. And a lot of those men who really fought hard, have. it's easy, even as you grow older, to get, to get soft. I think the great example of this is a guy like John MacArthur, whom I disagree with about some profound theological issues, but I would follow him into the fray because he showed himself to be someone who looks the monster in the mouth and says, what do you got? What do you have? And I think, too, some of it is even those within the church were surprised at where the enemies began to come from. And they arose from groups of people that are difficult to push back against because it's costly when you do so. And we need more William Wallaces, frankly. Um, I mean the Mel Gibson version of William Wallace. I don't know much about the real William Wallace. But the guys who will stand up to, when I say tyranny, I mean the tyranny of satanic oppression. The tyranny of untruth in all its forms in every sphere. Okay, then there's the Gnostic influence. The Gnostic influence is this idea that spiritual is better in a sense that matters. So the soul is more important than the body. But both are equipped for eternity. And both will live forever. And within the church, the apostles made it very clear that both the soul and the body are part of the ministry of the church in terms of care. The apostles are not greater ministers. They are focused ministers upon the preaching of the word. The diaconate is is focused upon the care of the human body. One of the reasons why historically Christians have buried the dead and not cremated the dead is because they do have a high view of the human body which frankly is actually a very important diaconal ministry within the church because it's becoming increasingly more difficult to bury than to burn. And a lot of that disregard for the human body has nothing to do with Christianity. It has everything to do with pagan religion. And this is the creep of Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is this idea. There were two gods that created. The lesser god created the body. The greater god created the soul. And so all things that pertain to the soul are good and all things that pertain to the body are bad. And that led to two ways of living. Those who said, hey, if the body is bad, let's just do whatever we want to with it, right? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. Hedonism. And then there's this idea of, well, if the body doesn't matter, then we need to beat the body. This sort of, And there's a lot of Stoics right now. A lot of these guy gurus that are out there on social media are Stoics. They're not Christians. And they talk about masculinity, which is good, but they talk about the body. They talk about conquering women in a way that is not biblically centric. And they are sort of an overreaction to the effeminization of our culture. Stay away from some of those guys. But the world sort of ping-pongs between these two very pagan ideas that is an over-duality, the distinction between the soul and the body. But we are actually body and soul. They cannot be separated. They go together, and God made both. And when Christ became a person, he took upon himself a reasonable soul and a real human body. And both of those things made him human. That is why we call him human, and he possesses them to this day. And so the ministry of the church 
is to not focus on things that are so spiritual and we call them good that we negate and do not emphasize the physical. Maybe an example might be um, there was a young man who was at my high school. It's hard not to talk about controversial things these days. And I, I, like I said, I like to poke the bear, so I'm going to poke the bear a little bit. Um, his senior thesis was on why Christians should get the COVID vaccine. And I asked him this question, regardless of what you may or may not think, I asked him this question. If you're saying to me that Christians should encourage other Christians to get the vaccine, that means as a pastor that it is a moral imperative that I tell people that it's good. Am I allowed to go to other people in the church and tell them that their being overweight is also bad? He didn't have an answer. <laughs> like, if there are these issues that are comorbidities, like, can I then tell people, don't eat sugar? Because it's toxic. You're probably carrying a little bit of weight around your midsection. You need to get rid of that. And he looked at me and he said, I... He backed off from the moral imperative position and said, well, you need to make that decision. I said, well, you're telling me I don't have that decision. It wasn't the time and place to push, but those are the kinds of questions that we need to evaluate. What lane does Christ have dominion over? Does Christ have something to say about our souls and our bodies? Do not be filled with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when he says filled, what does he mean there? Drunk. Now, we don't use that word drunk or drunkard anymore, do we? We use a different word, a very sterilized word. We use alcoholic. And the problem with that word, like the word homosexual or gay, is they are not biblical. In fact, they're corrupted. Now, homosexual is descriptive, but the actual biblical word is sodomite. The biblical word for an alcoholic is a drunkard. Because it gets to the actual sin, the root of the problem. And what we have allowed ourselves to do is to be too connected and controlled by the way the world talks about our sins. And when I'm sinning, my desire, especially if my wife sees them, is to try to hide those things from her as much as possible. Do you think I'm successful in that? (laughs) Not at all. It's astounding how well my wife knows me. I look at her and go, when did you find that out? And you still like me? What's going on? There are many Christians... Well, no, every Christian has the remedy. The thing that is difficult is to say to the patient, you're dying. You're dying. Um, have you watched that show, House? That's one of the hardest things for doctors to learn how to do. And there's an episode where he's talking to young doctors about how to do that. And there's no good way to do it. And at the end of the day, you look at him and say, I'm very sorry, but the cancer is far too progressed, and you're going to die. But guess what? (laughs) Here's the remedy. Ray Comfort is the one who said, I was pointing about their dispenser, but I guess he had enough. Um, You have to drag him across the law, because the law reveals their weaknesses. It reveals the symptoms. Right? It's like a blood test. All these, these levels are low. This is off. Your cholesterol's too high. We drag them across the law, and then we show them this is how you order and structure your life. And oftentimes what we do is we over-spiritualize, we disconnect the body from the soul, and we try to work our way out from underneath this um, great, proper biblical duality. And then the rejection of divine revelation. I know we need to go. 
if the word of God is not the foundation for our lives, then we have no foundation. So at the beginning, the first class of my high school apologetics, I said, should Christians take the law of God that we find in the word and apply it to political life? Because that's the, that's the question. That's the rub for most people. Because that's really where the distinction is often made. And they're like, nobody wants to answer in the first day of class when it's the first big question. No. Someone said, no, I don't think so. I said, well, let me ask you this question. You are elected into office, and you've got a mess on your hands. And you say, I need to fix this mess. Where do you go? What will be the standard? Where do you go? But the Bible? I said, yes, the Bible. As we go out armed, philosophy, all of those things are fun and great, but really it's the word of God that we need to go armed out with. That was bad syntax. And so what we are endeavoring to do is to take the word of God, all of Christ, for all of life. I'm encouraging you then to not be afraid, cowardly, unprepared to talk to everything. And I don't mean on a level that some might. Right? If you talk to a PhD in quantum physics, you're not going to be able to talk about time-space continuum and all that stuff like they will. <clears throat> but that's not what saves them. What saves them is what? Who do you say the Christ is? And the implications from this, for those things. All right. It's time to go, but do you have any questions? I'm not discouraging you from asking questions. I want to let you know that we've reached the limit. Any questions, though, or comments or anything like that? All right, so you're fully ready. Get out there and get busy. All right, let's pray. Lord.